Welcome to Now with Steve Rio. On this podcast, I seek to define what it means to live a good life. How do we stay connected and aligned with our values and our purpose? How do we prioritize what's most important to us? And how do we optimize and make the most of the time we have in this life? Today's conversation is with Rick Ocean. He's a managing partner at Body Energy Club, a husband and a father, and just an outstanding human being. I've known Rick for a number of years, but in this conversation, I was able to even learn some new things, so I really appreciated the depth we got into. We talked about untraditional career paths, what it means to be an entrepreneur and how to know if you are one. We talked about depression and how we both experienced it and how we managed that. And ultimately, we talked about what was most important in life and how to focus on it. I hope you enjoy the conversation. And if you do, make sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. You can follow me on Instagram at Steve Rio. And if you're interested in learning how to increase your performance, resilience, and well-being, check out Nature of Work. It's a personal operating system to help you live life to its fullest. You can find us online at natureofwork.co or on Instagram at the same, at natureofwork.co. Otherwise, I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Well, thanks for joining me. Hey, my pleasure. Uh, honored, thrilled. Yeah, I'm man, excited to be here. For sure. Uh, I've known Rick for, how many years have we known each other now? Oh, I'm going to say five, six. Yeah. Going back to early brew. We met, yeah, we met through, did we meet through, meet through Mike McQuiston first or through brew first? Hard One to, of the two. It's hard, hard to, to say. say, right? Yeah. Combined with the fact that generally speaking, my memory is dog shit. But, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So Rick and I have known each other for a number of years through a number of people. One is through Brew, which is a very cool program that we both got to participate in, which was like a personal development thing uh, for for young men, which we were at one point, or maybe we still are. And um, Rick... You're always, you've always been somebody who I feel like is the one of the most switched on people in the room, is is always one of the most creative people in the room, but you're also one of the kindest people in the room, so. Ah, well, thank you. Yeah, man. I, uh, I try to be, uh, try to be nice. You are. You're a good person. <laughs> and, uh, and accommodating, so. Nice. Yeah. Um, so maybe we can start, baby. Um, could you just describe yourself what, you know, there's a LinkedIn bio for you, but how would you describe yourself? Um, well, I describe myself as outgoing, engaging, mm-hmm. um, interested in others and an entrepreneur by nature, actually, I think is the way that I would, uh, describe myself a hustler. Yeah. Um, since, uh, I've always had to sort of like eke out a living for, for lack of a better term. So I would, I would kind of describe myself in that realm. And I think that that sort of, uh, that behavior pattern kind of permeate, permeates itself through not only work, but also life and, uh, athletics and all of those other different things as well too. Yeah. You, I mean, you've always 
to me, you're always thinking of new things inside of the business that you're in now. You're constantly thinking of new brands. When did that entrepreneurial, when did you first notice that about yourself? Um, that's a great question, actually. I don't know whether it was something that I noticed right away. I think it's something in hindsight that I've realized. Right. Um, and not only that, actually, uh, also in hindsight, I think that it's something that I don't know if you can describe it as uh, it, like something that you inherit or learn, but looking, uh, m- my mother um, was in retail, started her own business, did pottery. She always had those same similar characteristics. Again, this wasn't something that I um, I knew at the outset when I moved to Vancouver and, and uh, started working with, with Body Energy and, and kind of helped grow it into what it is. Uh, but even further back than that, my grandfather was very much that as well too. Um, with the coffee industry in Jamaica. So uh, uh-huh. it, it seems to be something that uh, was part of sort of my family lineage and then something that out of necessity uh, maybe bubbled to the surface. Right. And then now is just really part of uh, who I am and the way I think. Right. I'm full of ideas, Steve. I got tons <laughs> of ideas. Yeah, <laughs> I know. You, you're like... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I have the same disease, and uh, I manage it on a daily basis. I take pills for that. Yeah, yeah, that's a great way to describe it, actually. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes it's fun, and sometimes it's really challenging having all those ideas. Yeah, and frustrating, actually, as well, too. Yeah. there's uh, It's always interesting to to look around and and see things where you're kind of like, there's a million different ways to do this better. Mm -hmm. Why isn't that happening? Um, and having a strong opinion about something that you're generally kind of uh, uneducated about, <laughs> there probably is a. Ton I think of I was why. I was about to ask you to define what an entrepreneur is, and you might have just done it. But how, <laughs> uh, yeah, potentially. How, what What do you think? Cause I I speak to a lot of young people. Um, I do. A, I speak in in high schools at with a program called Yell, and I I mentor. F- young entrepreneurs around, but I'm always interested in, in people trying to figure out if they're actually an entrepreneur earlier in their, or in their life. Cause I think there's a lot of, um, glorification of the lifestyle of being a business owner or being an entrepreneur, but what do you think it takes? Um, yeah. And that's a great way to describe that as well too. Um, things often, more often than not seem more glamorous from the outside than they really are with regards to business ownership. Um, and no one knows, I mean, we're, I'm in retail, right? Which is a grind on the best of days. Um, I think most people, uh, kind of come into our locations and go, wow, this is so fun and cool. And it's in the health industry and it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, moving and shaking kind of thing. But at the end of the day, they don't realize that it's retail and it's, it's, uh, you know, someone's got to be there at 7am to open this door. Someone's got to be there at the end of the night to lock up. Um, it's not, uh, it's not, uh, the, sometimes the most glamorous job, especially when you're owner operator, right? I'll take out the trash. Like that's, that's still a thing. If a box needs to be moved, I'm moving the box. Right. Um, but, uh, to, to get back to your question again, I I think it's something that, um, whether someone's an entrepreneur or whether they just want to be an entrepreneur, I think though people that see it from the outside and then try it out, fold quickly. Right. And I think only the true entrepreneurs really kind of survive and succeed because you have to be of a certain ilk and a certain uh, certain breed of person to kind of shoulder that responsibility and stress and your mind is going 24-7. Um, and you have to care 
Um, it's not a punch in punch out kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And also I think the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. That's like true. there are days that go by where it's kind of like, man, I would love to just show up to work and have a job and, and leave at five. And I got a guaranteed paycheck is the other thing. Right. Right. That's a, that's a, that's a huge stress for any entrepreneur, mm. um, is managing the finances and knowing, okay, well, if sales don't reach X, then am I going to be able to cover my bills, payroll, you're responsible for people's lives, right? At the end of the day, um, you as the business owner are responsible for someone else and whether they're able to pay their rent, cover their daycare, any of those, uh, any of those sort of things. And that's a huge responsibility yeah. that uh, a lot of people fully don't understand until they're in that situation, right? Yeah, it's like, a, it's interesting what you said that you realized in hindsight that you're an entrepreneur, but that's because you just started doing the things and and realized halfway in, oh, that's what I am now. I think that's probably a good indicator actually is if you don't, like you said, you're not looking at it from the outside in, you're not trying to get into the space somehow, you just naturally pull yourself into the space without even thinking about it. Yeah, and I almost don't even like the word uh, entrepreneur. I, I think if I was to truly reflect on, on, and maybe I should give some backstory here as to how um, I started in the business that I'm in. Yeah, that's my next question, so. Um, I moved to Vancouver. First um, off, can you just tell us what Body Energy is? Because, I mean, most people in Vancouver know what Body Energy Club is and, and in LA maybe, but what is Body Energy Club? Yeah, so we do, um, we do natural foods, um, vitamins, supplements, um, healthy meals to go. Um, it, we're around a thousand square feet uh, and in all of our stores we have a cafe where we do smoothies, cold-pressed juices, uh, again, healthy snacks and stuff like that. So, um, but we have the retail component. We're kind of a hybrid business. There's a there's a, a vast retail section from sports supplements to all that sort of stuff to our cafe that's in there. So half restaurant, half retail, um, covering kind of that middle ground of the category, selling the more sports aggressive stuff to the clean, all natural. We have our own brand. Um, but I would like to qualify that none of this, this was all made up as we went along. Hmm. So when, when I first moved here, I had uh, just dropped out of college, actually. And, and that was what, like 15 years ago? No, nah, this would have been 2003. Okay. February 2003 is when I'd moved back out here. Um, and my business partner had just opened up uh, a supplement store called Body Energy Club. My sister was actually the sales rep. And it was 500 square feet, and all they sold was sports supplements. Um, very busy place plowing through protein powder like nobody's business. Was that um, early days of that market or what was the, uh, do you know? Yes and no. It was, uh, the market at that time would have been your traditional nutrition houses, GNC, and then um, Reflex. Right. Uh, so if you wanted to, to sort of parse those out, uh, nutrition house would have been your, and still is today, more of like your traditional kind of earthy health food store, homeopathic stuff. Uh, they do a smattering of like protein powders and bars and stuff like that, but it was very much more on the granola side of things. And then you would have uh, on the other side of the industry, the more aggressive sports supplements that are marketed towards like bodybuilders and stuff like that. Um, when uh, we had opened, when my business partner had opened the first location, it was sort of kind of vaguely in between those two, but not really. And then uh, when I came on board, um, we were 
looking to sort of diversify the uh, the product selection. So we brought in uh, vitamins. So now we had transitioned from a more sports supplement store into the more vitamin uh, side of the store, targeting more of like the weekend warrior, your traditional uh, everyday person. Now that kind of store at the time didn't really exist um, as far as offering all of those selections to, to kind of meet that middle ground. Um, from there, I did the business plan for the smoothie bars. Um, again, this happened kind of in rapid succession because I had originally started unpacking boxes 20 hours a week. Um, and I needed a job. That was basically it. And then, uh, as I started working with, uh, with my business partner, there's only three of us. Um, we started thinking about ways to sort of like grow the business as any, any business wants to do the, the juice bar at the time is how we called it. Um, kind of seemed like a logical extension hair salon beside us closed down. I physically moved her out myself, packed up her chairs, helped her tear down stuff, moved her out, helping her as much as possible kind of like to be nice, but also selfishly because we wanted the additional square footage. Um, took down the wall between the two locations and then we built a smoothie bar again, knowing nothing about it. Uh, I didn't go to school. I went to school for, uh, rec and leisure and business marketing. Um, so we started coming up with smoothie recipes, juices, kind of just figuring it out as we went along. And, uh, that was uh, slow, but steady growth for the next three, four years before we opened up our second location. Wow. Yeah. And originally it was, it, the smoothie bar component was designed as almost like a lost leader, get people in the store give them a smoothie, give them a cold pressed juice. Oh, you're interested in protein powder. Well, this is the protein that we use in that smoothie. Conveniently enough, we have a full selection of it right over there. Why don't we go talk about it? Because the products is what we had always focused on and that seemed like the logical thing to do. Right. Fast forward 17 years, depending on the location, we're 50-50, 60-40 uh, with the cafe to the uh, the retail side of yeah, the- Yeah, uh, it's a huge uh, part of the of business. The Massive. I mean, in your new, uh, in one of your newest stores in, in Gastown, you go in at lunchtime or anytime, you know, during the workday and there's just big lineups of people waiting for smoothies, waiting for bowls, waiting for all the stuff that you make off the counter, right? Yeah. And uh, I guess to loop back to, to your original point, at no point in time during all of this sort of growth- uh, I was 24. Uh, did it occur to myself that, hey, you're, I'm an entrepreneur. This is what I'm going to do, right? Kind of thing, right? Um, I think almost even in the back of all of our minds, we are still kind of trying to figure out is any of this going to work? And if it doesn't at any moment, you know, w- what do we do for work? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, right? Like uh, uh, options open, but uh, we, we were one of the busiest. Um, retail stores in the country per square foot in our industry. Wow, and still are today, which is which is fantastic. And since those days, obviously we've grown significantly. We've evolved yeah. um, as far as our product selection, what we offer, the emphasis on the cafes, and then from that you see a ton of other brands that have kind of uh, um, evolved and branched out. And I don't want to use the word copied, but sort of. Um, maybe used us as kind of a template mm-hmm. um, to sort of build off of and, and have their own thing, which is great. It's great for the industry, right? So, Yeah, and I'm, I'm interested in hearing, you know, you say, you know, you jumped into the business, you were unpacking boxes to begin with, you just showed up in town, 
your sister was already working f- with your now business partner. No, she was she sold into the store. So she represented one of the brands oh, that see. the okay. retail store uh, sold. Really liked the guys. She was their number one supplier and knew that they were looking for Got for it. someone just like me. Got it. So young, fit guy who could talk about products and supplements. Yeah, and stuff basically. Like that. And, and so you jumped into this. Um, but from what I understand, you know, you were obviously heavily involved in some of the key concepts and some of the core foundation of what body energy is today. Um, but you aren't, you weren't always uh, thinking about, you know, what is my role? Like, what is my title? What is my, what does the partnership look like? And I think that was a fairly, like a learning path for you. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, for the longest time, and even still to this day, we struggle with titles. Like I, I don't, I wouldn't know what title to put on my, um, on my card. You yeah. know, I think my, I think my email signature says uh managing partner or something along that. Cause you kind of need to have a, a title, but again, we might have, uh, the number, the, you know, many locations and stuff like that, but we still sort of view ourselves as a mom and pop business. Again, we kind of do everything. So I'm not in accounting. I'm not in, um, you know, uh, inventory and inventory management. We we kind of do all of it. So to have a title, it, not only did it never occur to me, but it still doesn't really exist for for myself, my business partner, anyone along those lines. Yeah, and and there was a point where you were almost you almost walked away from Body Energy Club. Is that right? Yeah, I took or a, you did, a, or? I, I took a break, uh, a hiatus. Yeah, I, I don't know what you wanted to call it. There was a bit of. Um, there was a moment where, uh, I don't, I don't want to call it a, a midlife crisis of sorts, but, um, I guess maybe uh, I'll backpedal where because of this process that had gone on. So I'm, we're 17 years into the business now because of the development of our company, it's no longer, and it might be difficult for people to understand, but it's no longer a, a job and a business. At some point in time, it becomes an identity. And not only that, but your relationships with um, the key people who started it with you. It's not um, a colleague that you work with, although that element does exist. It almost becomes more like a marriage. I mean, technically, I spend more time and 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 talk more frequently and to my business partner than I do my wife. Just the amount of hours that we spend on the phone talking to one another. And I'm sure that's common for a lot of people who, you know, you're working 40 hours a week, right? Or or sometimes more than that. Um, at a, even a traditional job, you quite often spend more time with your colleagues and coworkers than you do with your uh, significant others. But um, so there was some, uh, some, you know, 15 years in, um, into that relationship, business is, is more of an identity um, the relationship is more like a marriage. There was a lot of, uh, you know, there's a bit of an existential crisis for us to kind of sort of navigate and, mm-hmm. um, things had kind of come to, a, the pressures had mounted on me personally to a bit of a head where I just really needed to kind of step back, take stock and, you know, for lack of a better term, kind of figure out what I wanted to be when I grow up, which I almost wonder thinking about it now has more to do with the fact that again, this wasn't a traditional career path. It wasn't like I went to college and then to university and okay, now I'm a doctor. So I know that I'm a doctor. I was, as an entrepreneur, you're kind of an entrepreneur, but what does that really mean? Um, so, so those thoughts were kind of in my head at the time. And, and I did take a break for about, uh, 
about four months. Um, and then uh, my business partner and I had, uh, because of that break and that time apart, let's call it a trial separation for lack of a lack of a better term. Um, we had uh, we had uh, almost had a bit of a, a self-imposed kind of mini retreat together. I flew down to LA, uh, stayed at his place, and we sort of hung out, went out for dinner, kind of went over our whole kind of where we started, where we were, where we want to go, you know, personal relationships, personal stresses. Again, we've kind of grown up together. Um, so once we had sort of uh, um, recapped all of that, come up with a solid plan moving forward and, and set new um, uh, set a new path. And basically most of it revolved around communication is really what it was. And again, it was very personal, you know, um, so it was kind of the way we communicated, what our goals were, you know, um, all of those kind of things. And, and it was like hitting a reset button. So when I did come back, it was, uh, we were reinvigorated. The trial separation was great. And, uh, we've since had a, a second honeymoon and renewed our vows <laughs> and done all of those things. But yeah, it's, it's been great being, uh, after that little break. Cool. And, and, I mean, I'm, you're right. It is like a marriage. I mean, I've I've had this many times, both in my musical career and my business career. But it it absolutely is a marriage. And um, but often there, like you say, it, it you stumble into it and it evolves organically. But sometimes that means some strange things get built up, or um, and you have to work through those things. So that's cool that you yeah. went through that. You know what? That sort of stuff. Uh, I, I guess it falls under a category. And I mean, I'm not. I'll speak to when we were growing up because I don't know what it's like obviously growing up now and being in high school, but you don't get taught in school uh, how to be in a relationship, any relationship, whether it's uh, in a romantic relationship or whether it's um, in a business relationship or in a relationship how we are where you kind of grow up and you evolve. For the most part, you're kind of like, you know, fumbling around with people and kind of learning boundaries as you go and oh, it, it, you know, is she going to let me take her bra off? I don't know. And oh, okay, yeah, well, okay, that must mean, okay. You know, you're kind of stumbling across all of these things and you you make mistakes and you learn and you grow, but there's no real like, it's not like math class where you go to math class and okay, this is how it works. If you can memorize this sequence and this formula, then you're going to get an A and you'll always know those principles and those skills and and bedmas and bodmas and all of those kind of things that we've yeah. since long forgotten. Um, but for whatever reason, like relationships aren't like that. And I don't know whether that's changed or not. It's probably why you and I are going to retreats and all of those kind of things. I think there's been a bit of a evolution in that. It's like, they never taught us how to use a credit card growing up. Well, they were just lined in the hallways at college going, Hey, uh, 18 year old Rick, here's your MasterCard. Have fun. Remember the limits they used to give us? Oh yeah. That was a different era too. Yeah. Um, I think by the age of 20, I had a $30,000 credit card or something like that. Um, but you're right. Like not only do we not, I mean, and, and I think I've heard it said that if, if there wasn't any relationships in business, it'd be super easy. You know, that's the hard part is the human relationships. We're humans, we're complex, we're confusing. We don't know ourselves, let alone how to communicate with others well. And we don't get taught any of that. Like, I think it's really interesting that we both did brew, which wasn't so much about communication. It was about understanding who we are. And I think that's the very first step that we don't teach at all or talk about is who am I as a person? What's, what are my values? Where do I stand in this world? you know, get a clear picture of what you, 
who and what you, you know, who you are, what you stand for, so that you can communicate clearly, you can communicate what you desire, what your interests are, all those kind of things with others, right? Yeah. Yeah. My realization at, um, at that retreat was, uh, uh, you go to the gym theoretically, let's say every day to, uh, to exercise your body in a physical sense, but it's not very often that you actually do that for your mind or your emotional state. And that's starting to become more popular, obviously. And that's really what my takeaway from that, uh, from, from that was, is, is thinking about communication and relationships and mental well-being and mindfulness is the word that gets thrown around all the time now. Um, but that is definitely something that maybe because there's no physical place to, to go to, ah, meeting, you right. know, Steve at the gym at five, we're doing legs. Like, uh, maybe that conceptually it's, it's hard for us to sort of think about things that way. But I think that it's as important, if not more important. Pro- yeah. Perhaps more important. I think the more I learn about the psychosomatic connections between what we're thinking and how we're feeling and everything going on in our body, our health and everything else, our digestion, our sleep, our, our mental performance, all that stuff, man, I think it's, it's number one. And then physical performance almost has to come second. It's hard to say because you need to stay healthy physically to perform, but it is super key. So let me ask you, what is there uh, with brew with the personal development work we did there? Is there one thing that like one thing that sticks out that you learned about yourself or that? Yeah. I don't know. Just, just stuck out to you as a key besides what you just described, but a key learning, uh, Maybe something you didn't know about yourself or something that really clarified something for you at that or, or that you learned from others there. Yeah. How about something that I'm still wrestling with? Yeah, I, that'd be... I, st- I still don't know how to navigate that. Um, one of the things that was pointed out to me was that uh, you, you sort of asked me to identify who I am. I think one of the things that I always have uh, tried to do. And I didn't realize that I did this, but I've always tried to make people feel comfortable in any any setting. So if it's a social setting or at work or, or whatever it may be, I have this, uh, and I don't know whether it's based on insecurity, on a need to be liked maybe, but uh, either way, it's it's I've always tried to make people feel happy and comfortable and I want them to feel part of the group and all of those kind of things. And what was... Um, we sort of went through that exercise where people sort of point things out to you. I forget what it was, whether it's, uh, oh, here's a pro, here's a con kind of thing. But somebody uh, pointed out to me about my, they didn't real that I didn't realize my presence when I came into a room or a situation and that I was, had a bit of a, not just physically uh, dominant presence, but also my personality as well too, which I had always viewed as uh, as a positive being kind of outgoing and friendly. Hey, how you doing? Uh, all those kind of things. Uh, this person took that as uh, and kind of spun it backwards as, a, as I don't want to use the word negative, but as a, they were almost intimidated by it to the point where they didn't want to um, potentially be as open as they needed to be or, or whatever it may be. And uh, I didn't, I didn't take it as an insult or anything like that. I just took it as, Oh, there's a million different ways that people can, you sort of have this outward singular projection of, of what you, th- how you think you're coming across to people where there's a million different ways that that um, is interpret interpreted by other people. And uh, I'd never thought about things like that. Um, and I still, I think I still wrestle with that mm-hmm. because you kind of, you know, I'm 41 now as much as I'd like to, to say, yeah, we're all still growing and there's elements of you that, 
there's much resistance that you are you are kind of who you are as well too but i'm still trying to be um aware of of how i'm perceived by others and when to kind of like back off or reading other people i guess um yeah which i thought i was actually good at but yeah i i i heard similar things when we did that was an exercise i think where each person wrote on a piece of paper wrote one thing that uh like one thing yeah, kind of a pro and a con or something something um, that was great about you and something to be aware of. It was it was kind of framed as something to be aware of or something, you know, something like that. Yeah. And it wasn't anonymous or anything. You had to hand the piece of paper to someone so they, yeah. they knew it was from you. Yeah, so I very thought that was personal, a really right? powerful exercise yeah. with, with 12 guys or 15 guys or whatever it was that you just met for that weekend or that, that set of days. Um, it was a really, it was a really interesting exercise, a very personal and, and vulnerable thing to do with a bunch of dudes, like more than anything I had been perhaps ever done in an environment like that it was very cool. Totally. Which I liked. I, I did too. I, I think that that made more of an impact having it, um, you know, that, uh, when, when that guy handed me that note, looked me in the eye and told me it, it made it so that I couldn't just dismiss it right. as like, oh, this is just a you know, whatever, he's sensitive and I kind of maybe upset him or something like that. It really made me take stock in what he was uh, he was saying. So to take that exercise and apply it to everyday life uh, to get back to communication, I think that, um, you know, those little one-on-ones, that whether you either have them with your staff or with your family or with your colleagues, um, there's there there wouldn't be anything more impactful to implement change in your life than having those little one-on-ones. Um, my wife and I started doing puzzles this week. <laughs> so she used to do them with her dad, actually. Uh, and she loved it as a kid. So um, uh, she was like, hey, you know, it, it, I think it'd be super, her dad since passed away, but she, I think it'd be super fun if we had like an, we have a, a two and a half year old and a six month year old. So we're playing puzzles with Ophelia and whatever. And I think it kind of like stirred that up in her. So she's like, I think it'd be good if we got like an adult puzzle. And then after the kids go to bed, you and I could sit down and kind of just work away at the puzzle and kind of chit chat and stuff. And I was like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. So the last, uh, it's only been three nights in a row, but man, it's been amazing. Three nights in a row, you're in. Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. 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 I, well, I'm not worried about like not completing it. It's more just like um, the uh, the value that we're getting out of it other than, um, you know, we're sitting around having fun doing a puzzle. Yeah. The, uh, the value of the quality time that we're, uh, you know, working away at the puzzle, even the physical nature of working as a team and all that kind of stuff. But then we're having like the bigger picture conversations with regards to, okay, what are our goals? What are our life? You know, what happened at work? Uh, where are you at, uh, at with regards to A, B, and C, right? Yeah. It's, uh, it's been a huge, huge thing. Puzzles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but and I and it could I, be anything. But. Well, yeah, what it is is it's creating space in our lives. Like for for Austin and I, since I built the sauna in December or like at New Year's last year, we're in there a couple times a week, two, three, sometimes four times a week, and um, it's just forty minutes where it's dead quiet. There's no distractions. It's you know, it's a we're just in there together. And sometimes we're talking and going through the day or going through stuff we're thinking about. Sometimes we're just lying there with each other quietly. And even just having that that space together is really powerful. But oftentimes we're like in today's world, it really does feel like a lot of people are not finding that space even for themselves, but let or, or for their most important relationships to talk things through, to just let the conversation flow naturally. Because oftentimes I find... 
I'm probably, I mean, I don't know if you're similar, but I'm a pretty dominant speaker thinker. And, and so in most relationships, I can be a dominant force in the room. I got feedback similar to yours. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, it's given me a lot of pause in thinking about how I show up and when is that valuable and when is that, uh, not like, when does it serve me and when does it not serve me? Yeah. But in the relationship with my wife, who's much quieter than I am, who, who has a lot of thoughts going on there. She just sometimes takes a little bit longer to get going, communicating them. The still waters, right? But yeah, creating, yeah. creating that space for her to, to get that, to get out and, and, to hear what she's thinking about and what's going on for her is really key for me. Yeah. So I love the puzzle idea. Puzzles. Um, and I guess like in terms of what you said, you said we don't, we go to the gym all the time to stay physically fit. We don't really do that for the mental side. Like what do you do? Do you have anything that you do in terms of, I don't know whether it's, whether it's getting grounded, whether it's kind of reflection time, creative time, personal space, like, is there anything that you, what, what do you, where do you find that in your life? So I don't meditate. Yeah. Um, which, you know, there's like all of this vast information about how good meditation is. However, I do cycle <clears throat> and I equate my personal time, my personal space, uh, to, to when I cycle or when I train, cause really it's, it's a form of meditation for me where I can either get lost in my own thoughts, where I can focus on my breathing. I can do all of kind of like the, the mental elements of, um, meditation while on the bike. But I also have that physical outlet. Cause I find if I don't have that physical outlet, then I, I really go downhill quickly with regards to sort of my, my mental well-being. Um, uh, it's been huge, uh, with regards to that aspect of my life, which I've struggled with for a long time, you know, and I think a lot of people do, everyone has their sort of mental ups and downs. And, um, uh, I've had a little bit more, uh, uh, trouble with that. Uh, but, um, with regards to exercise in general and meditation, right. Cycling's really been my, my outlet for it, which by the way, I just found out and this is super silly, but I got the email yesterday that I qualified for the, uh, the world championships here in Vancouver for my age group next year. For with, with what? For the Grand Fondo. Oh, no way. Yeah. Which is like equal parts silly, but I'm still kind of like weirdly proud. That's fun. But yeah, yeah. So it'll the be The Grand Fondo is a, is a bike ride up to Whistler up the Sea to Sky Highway, which is no small feat. It's a, yeah. it's a grind. And I will also definitely get my ass handed to me, but it's cool just to be like in the, in the mix and to get that email and to be like a That's part fun. of it is, is, uh, is really cool. So. That's fun. Yeah. Um, I, I totally relate to what you just kind of spoke to in terms of keeping your mental wellness in check and, and dealing with that. I've dealt with, with, I de I basically deal with depression that comes and goes and it kind of comes in waves and I, I, it's gotten better over the last couple of years as my personal habits have gotten a lot better and my, my personal health, physical and sleep and how I take care of myself. But I've always dealt with that. Is that what you're like, what, when you say that for yourself, what does that mean? Yeah, for sure. So I, I guess without me being super vague, depression is, is definitely something that not just myself has struggled with. Um, but, uh, and without making sort of false correlations, my, my mom has severe depression right. um, where she's, uh, she was heavily, heavily medicated and stuff like that kind of, uh, growing up, which I didn't find out until later in life. Cause obviously you don't necessarily talk about that to your, uh, to your kids, particularly when we were growing up, uh, my sister, my brother as well too. 
I don't really know if there's a genetic component to depression or not. All I know is that I have always wrestled um, with it. I have my own sort of bro science theories as to um, why I feel it's more acute than most people. Um, and I've sort of, I've never taken medication for it. I had uh, a prescription once in college. And uh, I remember looking at the bottle and uh, opening it up and looking at the pills inside and being like, I don't really want to take that. Hmm. Um, I felt as though like I could self-manage it, which is probably terrible advice for most people um, suffering suffering with depression. But I think also at the time, as you know, as it, it's in peaks and valleys, it's one of those things like you feel almost manic and really good. So that's when I would have got my prescription. I'm like, oh, well, I feel great. I don't, I don't need medicine for this. And then sure enough, like a month and a half later, you're sort of down and out again and whatever. Um, but, you know, having worked through that over the course of the last um, 15 years and there's new science and new studies, I more self-manage it between uh, exercise, sleep, and diet. And for the most part, that seems those seem to be my big triggers. Um, stress at work, which is kind of unavoidable, um, would be another one. But as long as three out of those four are sort of in check, I generally tend to be pretty good. What I've noticed more recently in life, though, is having a, you know, two young kids, um, sleep is like definitely uh, erratic and hard to come by. And I won't take away anything from my wife because she obviously sleeps way less than I do. Um, but still that sort of like disruptive inter interruptive sleep definitely is a, is a, is a trigger for it mm -hmm. for sure. And then it's that weird spiral, right? You don't sleep, which means you're tired. You don't want to exercise when you don't sleep and you don't necessarily exercise, you start eating like shit. So then there's this weird kind of like downward spiral that you start, um, going down and then your, your mind tends to start circling mm -hmm. the drain and going down that way as well too. And, uh, I've, th that's basically how I manage it. You know, like I think most people will either go to like counseling or go talk to people or talk to friends, um, which I have tried. Uh, I don't find it the most effective way of sort of managing it for right. a lot of different reasons, which I would probably get like uh, a, a ton of flack for making that statement, but I have my own experiences to kind of justify It's that. a very personal so, thing, right? It's, it's not It's not even that. It's not coming from me. What I found is there's other people that I have talked to about it, and like part of it I get. Everyone has their own life. Um, they have their own baggage and stress and shit going on and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I've, I've just found that the conversations, as superficial or deep as they can be, they're also fleeting, right? Um, whereas depression is more of like uh, a wet blanket that you're kind of wearing all the time, every moment. It doesn't necessarily go away. Right. So it is something that I think as much as it is uh, good and healthy to talk about, there definitely needs to be sort of an internal strategic plan. Yeah. As an individual in order to sort of um, stay above the fray yeah. to, to battle against it because... Other people can't be there for you absolutely all the time, which is uh, is uh, unfortunate but fair um, reality. Yeah, I mean, in my experience, uh, so my mom has dealt with depression uh, for a lot of her life too. So interesting. I, I don't think we knew that about each other. No. But um, and I've always so in the last few years of my life, I I've just started really observing it through. I do I do meditate quite a bit, but 
also just starting to be more self-aware. I just like, and it sounds like you've done the same, but you, I, over the last, I'd say five years started to be aware of those peaks and valleys. And when those valleys start to come on, like for a while I tracked it in my calendar when I was having low days or I would just kind of track, okay, I'm going, I'm, I'm, this is a, this, it's coming on here. Let's see how long it lasts. Let's see. Oh, interesting. Because what I found for myself, and the reason I've never talked to anyone about it, uh, or you know, or, or you know, talked to a counselor or anything about it or something like that, is that I've often found that it's not related to anything. It's not necessarily. It might be um, sparked by some small event or thing, but I I often find it does feel. Um, chemical in the body or genetic or something like something is just there's a there's a thing happening yeah that it's not really related to what's going on around me outside of me it's just kind of like oh here it comes like shit i'm gonna have to deal with this now for the next however many days yeah and maybe my triggers that i've sort of identified stimulate that response in the body as well too i think you know without a doubt there's there's a chemical component to it within the body for sure yeah so what i've what i've found and i think that in I mean, you're, you and I are of the same generation where we're sort of, uh, and I'll steal your phrase that I absolutely love is that we're half analog and half digital. We grew up, uh, we remember the world pre-internet, um, but now we're ensconced in, in, in the digital era. I find increasingly so that there's a, because of the nature and fabric of technology that we're, we're increasingly living in a more disconnected world, which, which is no revelation, but from a practical standpoint, um, without having true daily strategies to kind of combat that disconnectedness, um, I think that stuff like what we're talking about will definitely become more, uh, more prevalent. hundred percent. For sure. hundred percent. And so what you, what you describe is, is daily strategies, which I love that just strikes me that that's just a form of mindfulness, awareness of what's going on for you, awareness of your own habits that affect that, whether it's exercise or food or sleep or what, and being aware of um, where you're at, how you feel. Because I, I agree, the disconnected, the disconnectedness thing is a huge problem because A, I think we're just getting less real social time, like this face-to-face social time, which is super important. I mean, there's lots of research that shows that if we don't get this, we die. Literally, like it's just, yeah. it's just a serious issue. So we're getting disconnected, but then we're also getting disconnected from ourselves because we're distracting ourselves all the time. So that when you do get some time alone where you might reflect on your mood or how you're feeling or how the week has gone or what's going on, you don't do that. You distract yourself and you go into the future or the past or whatever. You just spend time on the internet scrolling through bullshit. Scrolling your newsfeed or whatever your whatever. vice is. Yeah. yeah, and you don't get that 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 time to reflect on that. So yeah, it'll be interesting ten, fifteen, twenty years from now. Kind of like the cigarette when they sort of look back and go, "Okay, here's the data from twenty years of of or twenty five or thirty years of uh, of social media and the the digital world, and here's the impacts that it's had." Hey, you know it's really important for people to start limiting this or interacting in different ways, or maybe there's new apps that sort of evolve differently because of all of that. hundred percent. Data, who's the fellow that did that, uh, that study on um, the social media is Peter Haight. I'm not sure. Forget his name, man. It's, it's a really fascinating uh, study where he takes all of the data sets and he makes the correlation between uh, the launch of Facebook 
yeah. and really the the social media realm and uh, its impacts on um, on depression, particularly in young girls. Actually, yeah, there's a huge spike. It is that occurs, and he has uh, he has all the data sets. And uh, you got to forgive me for not uh, remembering his name, but point being is that he's uh, sort of at the forefront of of that research, and you can actually see the data coming out where it's okay. Well. Maybe we need to think about our engagement with this a little, uh, a little more. But it's so hard. It's so addictive. Like everything. <laughs> this is all the work I'm like. This is what I. Yeah, this is all. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm sure I have his study buried in the in the hundreds of studies I've collected on this stuff because it Jonathan is Jonathan Haidt. Oh I yeah, think okay, his name yeah, is, yeah, yeah. It, but it is. It's remarkable what's happening. And in back in I think 2017, I wrote an article say uh, called "Social Media is the New Tobacco." And that was the day I quit Facebook too, because I finished the article and I went and published it on Facebook. <laughs> and I, irony. And I thought, and a couple of people started attacking. Like one person really got him, like immediately started commenting negatively, saying, "Oh, it's so, Facebook is amazing. It's done this for my career, and you don't like you're, this. Is just you know, you're just uh, an old man yelling at clouds." This is the expression she used, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> I still like that expression, but. Um, but it was also that reactionary energy is exactly what these platforms generate. And it yeah. was that. And they're programmed to do. Yeah. And it, it was just, yeah, they're, exactly. They're programmed to do that because that's what keeps you engaged and keeps you addicted, keeps our brain coming back. But uh, that was the day I quit Facebook. And, um, but since then, there's been a number of people correlating cigarettes and tobacco and the tobacco industry and their motives and the way they're approaching the marketing and the cover up of what they know to what's happening in social media. So that's a very real thing right now. Yeah. Um, and how that little scroll down of the news feed that has a little spinny yeah. wheel is just like a slot machine. Exactly. They, just, I mean, they took all there to get a fix. They took all the technology they could from the uh, gambling industry and other places. So yeah, it's a, it's a, like, and my hope is that we don't need to wait 10 years for regulation to catch up and for the government to start doing anything. I mean, if anybody saw, um, the Cong- like U.S. Congress talking to Zuckerberg, not just last week, which was about a about Libra, but a, a while back they had him talking about these things about attention engineering and whatnot, and they just have no clue, right? It's going to take years for any of this to happen. There's huge; these companies are bigger and more powerful than any companies ever really created, so they're going to be able to lobby it, really? and they're bigger than the government now. So I think it's up to individuals, which is, I mean, I'm not here to Huge plug, ask. plug nature of work, but that's really what I've been focused on for the last couple of years is figuring out a way to help train people to get control of their time and attention, get it back. Because it's up to us, you know, what we do with our time and attention. It's not up to anybody else. And it is a very complicated environment. It's an addictive environment that we're in with the technology. It's very distracting. It's very persuasive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In that same realm, it's almost um, like you're, we just recently had an election here in Canada and, and it got me thinking about um, other ways in life that we vote. Mm. And, uh, you know, if you really start thinking about your expenses and what you buy every day, you really kind of vote with every dollar you spend as well too, right? To support a company, support a brand, support a message. Your uh, your attention is no different, right? Um, and again, I, I don't know whether this is being taught or not but conceptually i think it's very important that again through your day-to-day life you start thinking about that yeah and, where are and, you giving your time and attention to yeah and your money right like yeah. like you're you're literally voting with things don't exist if they're not commercially viable right so if 
if you really wanted um, uh, someone something to go away, like let's let's say Trump, for example, and it doesn't matter what side that you're on, but one of the things that would bug him most, I would think, would be if everyone stopped paying attention to him. 100%. Right? That's what I've said too. Yeah. So, uh, and likewise, if there's businesses or companies or whatever it is, if you just simply didn't buy their stuff, then they would cease to exist. Now, our problem, uh, I'm 41, by the way. Um, our problem that I think we've been trained in the hamster wheel when we were growing up is um, hyper consumerism which from a, a, a very young age, and I had no idea about any of this as a kid when you're growing up, you watch Saturday morning cartoons. You don't realize that you're not watching Saturday morning cartoons. You're watching a 30 minute long advertisement. And so you're trained to like gummy bears and My Little Pony and Transformers and G.I. Joe to get funneled into that consumer channel so you can buy the dolls and buy the t-shirt and buy the Halloween costume and oh, there's the cereal that just came out. Mom, dad, I want that cereal as well too, right? You've really, you've, it's, and, and that's how we were trained as very young children. So how does that manifest itself as an adult? Well, the world has become so disposable with regards to consumerism, right? You know, nothing gets fixed anymore. I, I live on Main Street and there's a, uh, oddly enough, there's a vacuum repair shop there. It's still there. Hey? It's still there. And I'm, <laughs> I, I, so a couple things coming from a retail background, I'm like, who's in there fixing vacuums? Like, I, I'd love to know that person <laughs> and uh and also it got me thinking who's getting a vacuum fixed like it's such a a disposable society that we live in it's almost yeah i i think that and i would be as guilty of this as anyone to go well, let's just get the newest latest and greatest because the model that we had from three years ago while well, the new one it's light years better, like the suction power. I don't know how they write right. suction powers, but it's a V8 versus a V3. <laughs> like, why wouldn't I just spend the extra couple hundred bucks and get the uh, and get the newest one? But I think that mentality stems from how we were um, we were raised by companies as much as we were yeah. raised by our parents. I mean, I was a latchkey kid growing up. I came home from school. Yeah, so mom's still at work, dad's still at work. It was uh, GI Joe at four o'clock, Transformers at four thirty. Um, uh, Thundercats at five, and then dinner was at five thirty when the shows were done. And then by the time you had dinner and came around, then you were on to uh, prime time, starting at seven o'clock, right into your well, e yeah. evening shows. No one's gonna remember those cartoons that I just mentioned, but whatever, <laughs> they were awesome. Yeah, and and then advertising's become weaponized with data, right? So now now it's like they were doing market research when we were growing up. They were doing lots of market research, and they were tailoring the toys and the names and the colors and all that stuff based on market research. So it wasn't, it wasn't dumb marketing, but now it's like, I know that Rick's sensitivities are this, this, and this. I know that his psychology is X, Y, and Z. So let's show him these three things because this is what's going to sell. And this is what he's looking for right now. Like, I don't know. I've had experiences where I see a product literally before I think about wanting that product almost. Like it's, it's almost like it's getting ahead. And what they're saying right now in, in looking at the research there is that, uh, they are like it's not just the risk of influencing your decisions by 
but it's actually steering who you are as a person now because it's channeling you in a certain way and forming you and because they've created an avatar for Rick and an avatar for Steve, but those avatars are naturally inclined to pull you in one direction or the other based on marketing dollars and what's what's of interest and and you're naturally going to be your personality can literally be affected and what you believe and what you you know, what you desire, which is what advertising has always done, but just in a, a bit, a much more weaponized way, which is pretty crazy. Well, you're, yeah, you're drowning in it almost. There's no way to keep your head above the water. Yeah. I think yeah. it's actually in, in an, a, another sort of channel. I think it's ruined the music industry. Like you don't discover different things anymore. I used to go into HMV on Robson and I'd go in and I'd look at album covers and I'd be like, I'd go in and I'd buy six CDs having never heard of who they were. And buy that one, I'd buy that one, I'd buy that one. And even before when you were, uh, you could kind of pre-listen to them and uh, some of them were awful, but every now and then you'd stumble across something that was like super cool. And- uh, A&B Sound, I used to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Sam the Record Man was was another good one. But, uh, you know, and that was such a fun experience. Still to this day, I miss like going to the video store and walking the aisles and looking at the, the, the movie covers and kind of just grabbing something and, and hoping that it's almost like there's, um, selection paralysis with regards to, you know, your Netflix and your crave and stuff like that, where there's so much on there, you spend more time probably scrolling through what to watch than you do actually watching something for the most part, if you were to sort of cumulatively look at the the time spent doing it but with regards to the music industry that channeling of people where they're sort of auto feeding your searches or oh if you like uh steve's band you're probably gonna like rick's band too because they sound an awful lot alike so try them and now you got two bands that are kind of the same and now you're in that sort of category you're not you're not um you're not expanding yeah you have to really like it's not designed for personal personally guided discovery, but uh, you really have to work hard to do that. Yeah, I started actually doing that on Spotify because I realized the exact same thing you said. And I just started going to the new releases and I usually skip the first bit because it's just all the top pop stuff and country stuff and whatever's taught. But I just look at the album covers and then I just, I'm like, oh, I like that album cover. What's that band or what's that artist? What, you know, you guess the kind of music based on what you're seeing a bit. Yeah. But I actually go surfing for music, which is kind of interesting. It's not as tangible and there's there's a missing quality to that. But it's interesting. You, you can do it. It's just not designed. They're really, I mean, Spotify loves what's going on in Apple Music. Same thing. I don't know if people know this, but Spotify, all, all of the major record labels are invested in Spotify. And so anytime you see a suggestion or anytime your feed auto-populates, if you finish a certain album and if you've got that turned on, more music just keeps playing. I don't know what percentage of that, but a large percentage of that is fed by marketing dollars. So you're hearing that artist because somebody has paid for you to hear that paid artist. Paid for it to pop up in your thing. And that's the other thing. You, sure, you could scroll through Spotify, but what... It, what are you not seeing? What are you not oh, yeah. even being shown that you don't even have the opportunity totally. to pick, right? Whereas if you're w- physically walking around a store, well, it's all there. It's not like there's a, a back room of stuff where the, oh, Steve's here. Let's only put out Steve's, the stuff that Steve's going to like on the shelves. Yeah, right, kinda, right. Kind of stumble around, right? So, so I want to switch gears a little bit. Yeah. Um, 
I want to just jump into your your family life because I, I I know Shauna and have met your lovely kids, the cutest. So Rick has the cutest kids in the whole world, and that's actually just he's already got the award. It's on the mantle, so you well, can't really. You. It's, it's hilarious. But um, I'm just interested. So first off, how long have you and Shauna been married? Uh, great. How long have you been together? Great question. We both always struggle with this one. Uh, so we got together in 2011, and uh, we've been married for four, three, four years now. So what are the? Um, and then so we have a two and a half year old and a, and a six month year old, right? Um, which has been uh, it's a huge shift, right? Um, one of the things, uh, and I don't want to preempt your question. I just go for it. One of the things that uh, when um, I was always sort of on the fence with regards to whether to have kids or not. I think I would have been happy, uh, happy either way. But obviously, it's a, it's a, it's a huge sort of uh, next step in life in general, right? Um, so uh, I remember the day when we had our first daughter, that which was it was a great experience, and 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 obviously anyone that's ever had a kid and kind of witnessed that um, event will will attest to. But uh, immediately, what I didn't anticipate was um, I felt a higher sense of purpose all of a sudden, which I had always, um, I don't know, you go, you go to work or you own a business and there's a, there's a purpose, there's, there's, but it's, it's, very, um, it's very superficial in a sense mm-hmm. where, you know, if your business was to close up tomorrow, you could go and, uh, and find another job or start another business or, or even in a relationship, if you're married to someone, you can break up, time passes, right. you meet somebody else, it moves on. When, I, when we had our daughter, I, I immediately felt like, oh, my life is now no longer about me in a, in a really good way. And it gave me a, a, an added uh, drive and incentive and this, um, I felt just way more connected to the world in, in, in general hmm. um, and, uh, and a focal point. Um, and same thing with Wilder. Wilder's been uh, been a great great addition to the family. I just uh, we just had a doctor's appointment this morning. He was born with uh, VSD, which is uh, um, had two holes in his heart that were larger than normal. It's a heart murmur. It's it's quite common for people to be born with um, heart murmurs, but his were slightly larger. So the risk is is that um, if they don't get um, if they don't start closing up after six months or a year, then there's a risk that he could require heart surgery which is um, terrifying to say the least. Um, but uh, everything was fine today at the appointment. So it's all closed up. That's all good. But uh, as I was walking the halls today of the hospital, I was, you look around and you're in a sick kid's hospital and you see all of these kids. Wilder's going to be fine, totally healthy and great. But you see all of these kids and parents who their kids aren't going to be fine. And... Uh, if you ever want perspective, go spend 15 minutes walking those halls because it is, um, it really gives you uh, a, a, a view of what's really important. And we, you, it takes your head completely out of all the bullshit that you see on the news and the media and mm. all these things that in our daily lives that you think are so significant and so important. Um, yeah. I, be a good I, exercise for anyone to go do. Hundred percent. I mean, I uh, <clears throat> I adopted my wife's daughter when she was thirteen, so I came into her life then. But even for me, that transition was very apparent. That it, 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 I guess, no pun intended. It took what a year or so for me 
not even, I don't even know how long, matter, maybe a matter of months. I think within two months of meeting both of them, um, my wife and, and my daughter, we were out snowboarding and I was doing up her snowboard boots, just like my dad did in the parking lot of Mount Baker where I grew up skiing. And there was just like, oh shit. Like, and as soon as you have a, a kid, it's like, um, everything else, the stakes of everything else are so low compared to the stakes of, of totally. your kids. Right. Yeah. Sean and I were having this conversation the other day. She's like, uh, you know, if, if money wasn't an object and, and, uh, and, you know, you could literally do whatever it is that you want to do. Uh, everything's covered. So you don't, you know, like, you know, what would you want to do? And I said to her, I said, honestly, all I would want to do is hang out with like you and our two kids. Like if I could totally do that every day for the rest of my life, that is what I would choose. Unfortunately, that doesn't pay the mortgage, but, uh, that that's, that's what I would do. And it's a different, you know, I love my wife and I know she loves me and, and anyone who's in a relationship knows that they, they love the person that they're with. But, uh, and again, I'm not saying anything that every parent doesn't know. Um, I think that I didn't realize the depth of what, uh, cause I have parents, right? Obviously everyone does. Um, but even the love for my parents isn't the same as my love for my kids. And I'm sure it's true for them as well too. I know my parents l love me to the nth degree. Um, and I almost think that that word love is very deceiving as to what it's like to have a kid. I don't think it does it justice with regards to mm. the connection, the depth of the connection and responsibility that you, uh, that you have to this other person that you are solely responsible for their, their well being, their education, their health, all that, all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, yeah, different what, level. Yeah, it is. It totally is. Um, what do you, at the start, you kind of defined yourself and that had a sort of that entrepreneur card and things, but um, how do you, what, what do you think your your role is in life, in the broader aspect of life with your family, with anything else, or what is your responsibility in this life? Um, I got reminded of that today, actually, in that ultrasound, believe it or not. Um and it's something that I think that uh, a lot of us maybe in, again, in the day-to-day, -day, we don't necessarily think about. Um, the gentleman who's doing the ultrasound today, I keep getting uh, a little choked up. Anyway, um, the gentleman who's doing the ultrasound, um, uh, who is, you know, he's, we're looking at Wilder's heart on the screen and he's looking at Wilder and Wilder's happy and he's got his four little teeth smiling and, and whatever. And he's, he's a super chill kid and he's lying there. And uh, at the end of it, the guy who's doing the ultrasound looked at him and uh, said to him, uh, make the world a better place um, to him. Never met this guy before, never met anything. He's just looking at a six-month-year-old. And uh, he was sort of laughing and kind of and kind of, kind of of joking with him. And, and that was sort of, a, it wasn't a throwaway comment to a six-month-year-old. It was just, it, it was an unusual thing to say, but it was poignant. And I was he like- He said it to your son, yeah, to Wilder. Yeah, yeah, to Wilder. And I was kind of like, that's such a cool um, thing to think about uh, for a stranger to say that to your kid and not only for me. So I think being a parent, and I think it's something that maybe- we, I know for myself, uh, I've definitely um, uh, reflected on that in the past and was reminded about it today. Okay, how am I leaving the world a better place than it was when when I was born? Um, what is my, how's my generation? 
leaving the world in a better place um, than it was born. And I think that that's something that is natural for people, whether you're an entrepreneur or a business owner. I think there's something within people that make you want to build or start or do or improve upon the next big thing, right? Like, what? Why do we need an iPhone two? Wasn't the iPhone one good enough? There, we're in sort of this constant state of improvement. Um, so I think it is natural. Uh, I think that sometimes, though, uh, as an individual, as a company, as a business, as a society, um, I think sometimes that gets lost in the shuffle with regards to the fact that hey, we should all be striving to to leave the world in a better place than it was when we. Uh, when we when we found it so that's been weighing uh, not weighing on me but it's been something that i've trying to been thinking about okay a have i been doing that um so i sort of reflected the business that we in i'm fortunate enough to be in the health business so i can answer honestly and go yeah you know i've i've been a part of uh, improving people's health and their daily lives and i'm 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 working towards um i'm participating in that sphere in a sense even though i think sometimes it's forgotten about um and then, uh, yeah, I think that that, it, that would be something that moving forward, look, I'm, again, I'm 41. I could have more days behind me than I do in front of me, uh, given the math on, on, on lifespan, which is another weird thing when you turn 40 to kind of think about um, that you've already lived more years in the past than you could potentially have in front of you. So all of a sudden there's a biological clock that in in a man, I don't know what that's like for a woman obviously, but for a man that does start to sort of take effect. Okay, what am I gonna do? What's the goal? What's the purpose? All of those kind of things. So. Do, you, do you find that, that that inner dialogue is more about what you do outwardly in the world, what you do for you, like with, in your own experience of yourself, with your family, like where where does that resonate for you? Um, well, I think, I think both exist simultaneously. I think that all of our business decisions are kind of revolving around and, and for better or the worse, a lot of it's external pressures as well too, but revolve around being more responsible with regards to packaging and, uh, and nutritional ingredients. And, um, but also like I, when I look at my kids, I want to give them, afford them every opportunity that I potentially didn't have or wasn't necessarily set up for correctly um, as an adult, um, whether that's regards to their finances or their education or or them participating in, in sports and how they participate in sports, right. um, how as a parent I engage in them participating in sports. Um, I think that it's kind of the same thing, but in two different worlds. Hmm. What do you think is... Um what's most important to you in life? Uh, I would, well, my, my kids and family, obviously at this, uh, at this stage of the game, which I think, think anyone would say, mm-hmm. um, w- without a doubt, uh, my wife, my, who's amazing in every sense of the word, she fills in every gap for me, which is, um, you know, I, I have, um, a buddy who's out there, out there dating and, and he comes back and say, oh, you know, we don't, there's so much that we don't have in common and blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, do you need to have everything in common or do you need to have a couple things in common and you actually fill in the gaps for one another, which is what my uh, my wife and I do. And we work really well together in that sense. Um, 
Sorry, I forgot the, the the question there. Well, I just asked, yeah, what's most important to you? Yeah, and so I think it, you're talking about it. Yeah, it'd be my family, and then and then I think uh, increasingly so that um, that sense to uh, to leave the world in in a better place than it was when we found it, which is obviously cliche, but uh, there there are things that kind of kind of really kind of grind my gears. Like I can't believe that marijuana was just legalized last year. My generation has been talking about that since high school, my older brothers and sisters, since they were in high school, our parents, since they were in high school. And that's just like, that's a frustratingly slow pace of progress. Hmm. Um, electric cars, all of those kind of things, um, really frustrate me with regards to the pace at which they happen. But, uh, if I can do any little thing to kind of push that pace in my small world that we have, then, um, then I think that'll be a, a, a focal point moving forward. Right. Do you, you, so you talk about, I mean, you just mentioned the amount of years you have left or you're reflecting on that, leaving the world a better place than, than, than you came into it. Is that about like, what, how do you think, do you think about legacy? Is that something that matters to you for some people i for myself i'm not sure but is that something that matters to you is it something that doesn't is something that occurs to you like a leg like leaving a legacy or is it more so about what you're doing in the present um or while you're alive i've never thought about legacy and uh am i gonna have my i mean i guess there's a number of different ways to to think about that do i want my name on a building not really um do I want to do as much as I can so that people remember me, however big or small that group is? Uh, yeah, without a doubt. So you know, I want to be, um, I want to be as as helpful, as available, as nice. I want to set my my kids up. Um, I want to, um, yeah. That, that I guess that's the way that I would would perceive perceive legacy to the point where. I've, I've really started to be mindful of, um, like the different versions of myself, which we had, we had sort of talked about briefly because there are versions of myself that I don't necessarily like. And one of those versions was, um, I, I grew up playing hockey and, uh, you know, I played, uh, a handful of junior C games, which anyone that's played hockey knows kind of that level, whatever it is. And then as an adult, I continued to play rec hockey. Um, and I love, I love hockey. Um, I love everything about that sport. I really do think that it's uh, the the best professional of the professional games. I really do think it's the best one. I actually just enjoy ice skating. Like I could forget all the hockey gear. I would love to go out and just listen to the sound of the steel of my blades cutting the ice. I, I, I absolutely love that. What I don't like is there's an element of that sport for me that since I was a kid, um, and I've only realized this in the last probably two years because um, I don't I don't really play anymore. It engages a part of my ego or my ego in particular that I don't like, um, and that's very individual to me. That's not casting uh, casting that across uh, everyone um, everyone that plays or the nature of the game or anything like that. But it definitely brings out a side of myself that I don't like. There's uh, there's sort of an uh, an element that I just find that I can do without. And I think the people around me can really do without as well too. So I've sort of taken a step back from, from that found other sports and I'm sort of using that as a, as a mental template and going, Hmm, where does that exist that maybe I have a blind spot for in other areas of my life? That's super interesting. That I need to kind of 
disengage from out because it's not really necessary for me uh-huh. and it doesn't necessarily um you know bring out the the best of me i don't know what those are yet yeah. but i think it's you know for some people it might be like uh i have friends who um who stopped drinking which is can be an obvious one and it wasn't because of the, they were an alcoholic or they had a substance abuse problem um they literally just didn't like they weren't a good drunk or it's yeah. like a, i'm i'm a fairly decent drunk. Where you're so, a pretty great drunk. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I'm, I'm fairly good at partying. <laughs> but that's um, interesting what you say about the hockey. I mean, it could be from early conditioning if you played it as a kid and, and the pressure you felt or whatever it brought out of you that I find whenever I go back and do things that I haven't done in a long time or that I have since childhood, it brings out some older version of me. Yeah, for sure. I did massive temper problem as a kid. Interesting. Um, I'd have like, you know, and I'm not talking temper tantrums like as a toddler, like how my my daughter will now. I'm talking like <laughs> as a 13-year-old on the ice, I would have like uh, com- really? complete uh, meltdowns on the ice with the officials or with other players or, or wow. whatever. Um, so, yeah. But, you know, it's also a sport that kind of like lends itself to that. It's like very physical. Violence is yeah. part of that sport. You can get in, there's no other sport where you're allowed to get into a fight right not as a, not that as a kid you're allowed to but it's it's part of that part of um it's almost it was almost an expectation when we were we were growing up that, that you needed to have a bit of that element within you um and uh and when i think about sort of my fuel for that like where was why was i more erratic in that sphere than say my peers or my colleagues um you know i didn't grow up in the in necessarily the best uh I grew up with two amazing parents. They just didn't necessarily get along with each other. And there was no uh, violence or physical abuse or anything like that. They were just they were just yellers. So like they would kind of knock it along and have arguments. And then I think that as a kid, maybe that sort of permeated itself in to me. Point being is that hockey kind of brings out that element mm. of me that I don't really. Uh, it's so interesting uh, that you say that. As I mean, it's a testament to your personal development because I would never have guessed that that's who you might have been when you were 13. Like oh, yeah. just in terms of your personality today, in terms of your um your your just your sensitivity. Yeah, I I outgrew that yeah. sort of element at some point for the most part, but yeah, I find that it does get activated in those uh those environments. It's mm-hmm. kind of and those elements are always kind of with you, right? They're more, it's more managing them than really kind of changing. Yeah. And and I want to ask you one more question about, um, you talked about how many years you have left. <laughs> do you, do you think about death or, or does it, is it something you contemplate? Daily? I don't know at all. Uh, no, no, I'm answering day. <laughs> oh, you are <laughs> daily. Yeah, for sure. Um, what comes up? Uh, well, I think about, um, and maybe I shouldn't say that I think about death, but I more am trying to sort of like, what is this? What's going on? It's like that, those kind of questions. Like, are we in a simulation? You know, yeah. is there a God? Like yeah. those kind of things. And um, to me, sometimes I think that the, the only, you know, I think maybe everybody does, that when you die, all of the answers are going to be like unfurled to you and you'll know, oh, there is an afterlife. I'm fucked or like, uh, you know, you, you loop, you're reincarnated as, uh, you know, whatever it is that you killed the most in, in your life or, or whatever it is. So in that sense, I, I kind of think about it, um, you know, on a darker side, uh, sometimes if we're having those ups and downs, 
um, I think I could think about it in a sense of freedom um, from sort of the, the inner demons that potentially at that moment in time that you're not necessarily managing. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but, uh, you know, obviously those kind of come and go. Um, I don't think of it as something that I'm afraid of for sure. Uh, uh, nor do I necessarily look forward to it. I just think it, it is what it is. Um, my, uh, my, my wife's grandmother is sort of actively passing away right now. And truthfully, she's kind of been very open for years now being like, you know what, I, I, I'd really like to, to go now. And she's, she's completely lucid, nothing wrong with her. But for years, she's just been very open about the conversation that she's just like, honestly, like I'm, I'm old and I'm tired and I've had a good run and I'm good. Mm -hmm. Um, so things have run its course to where now it's kind of, uh, sadly coming to, to, uh, to sort of a head. I think I look at death in that sort of light where I look at it in, 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 um, you know, it's an eventuality. It's going to happen to all of us. Um, you know, uh, at some point in time, it just, it is what it is. Right. Yeah. So. Well, the, like the Stoics or even in Buddhism or other places believe that you can't truly live unless you look closely at death, unless mm. you really contemplate what it means to die, then you can't contemplate what it means to live. So it's interesting what you said. And thanks for sharing, uh, in terms of your depression and, and what death means to you in those times, because I've had the same experience and it, I don't consider myself suicidal, but I, you know, that, that's that, that glimpse of freedom or something is something that's been there for me too. It's, it's a, uh, it's an interesting feeling when that comes up. Yeah. But, um, unless there's nothing after this, in, in which case, well, if my, if my psychedelic experiences have told me anything, if they're true, then there's definitely something after this. And it's, yeah, it's very interesting. Looking forward to the rocket ship. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you consider yourself religious or spiritual or do you believe there's something greater than this one life that it's just in, you know, I believe that there's like, obviously there's something going on. Um, I like to say that I'm smart enough to know that I don't know what that is. And I don't trust anybody who claims to know what that is. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm religious as I am. I guess would that I would fall under the category of spiritual in that sense. Um, yet I don't have a, I don't have a name to to what it is. I'm more open to any and all possibilities, which is very non-committal. Right. But I think that that's like the most honest and uh, honest way to sort of look at things. Mm -hmm. And do you think there's meaning to life? Like, do you think there's a purpose that you're like a here grand for? plan? That or or do you? Is there a purpose to you being here mm. or a, a grand plan? Yeah, however you think about that. That's an interesting question because, like, why are we born when we're born? Why was I not born in 1776 in the American Revolution? Like, why now? Especially at such an interesting point in time, where there's all of this technological flux. There's you know, society's changing so rapidly, the world and to some degrees in turmoil, the climate, like all of these interesting things are going on. Or is that just our perspective because we're here now? Like was the industrial revolution the same thing where people in the industrial revolution going, oh my God, this is the craziest time to, to live. There's going to be no more horse and buggies anymore. Have you seen the cars? Uh, uh, it's interesting in that sense to think, is there a reason why we're living in this moment or is it complete chance? I don't have an answer and I don't necessarily get that 
hung up on it. It would be egotistical to say, you know what? Yeah, I am born now because I am the Messiah and uh, I'm going to start my own little uh, uh, cult and I'm going to... That would definitely be an extreme... 20 wives. I want the full, I want the, I want the, the, the full meal deal. And, More things uh, I didn't know about you, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, lastly... Uh, Follow me on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um, lastly, what does it mean to you to live a good life? Um, well, I think just a life of purpose again. Uh, I think that's kind of the, my theme right now overall. Um, and, uh, and, and doing the best I can to those that are around me that I love and that are, that are near and dear to me and more so even strangers, people that I don't know. Um, uh, I think that, I think that ultimately there's more good in the world than there is evil even though we're bombarded with, with all of the, the negative stuff um, uh, daily. And I think that we could, we'd all be better off if we, uh, we engaged with one another uh, more readily and, and more one-on-one and with people that you don't know. So I'm fortunate in a sense where uh, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm a mixed race person, right? Um, and I'll loop back to your, to, to my point here in a second, but I grew up in an unusual household in the sense that I have four sisters and two brothers, okay? Closest siblings, nine years older than I am. Every single one of them enjoyed a different genre of music. Um, My brother was into Sex Pistols and hair metal. My other brother was into Pink Floyd and Yes. My sister was into Culture Club and and New Wave. My other sister was into Duran Duran and and U2. My dad was into old school reggae because my family's Jamaican. My mom was into Billy Joel, Lionel Richie, uh, Neil Diamond is by far her favorite. So point being, there's like, what what was that? Tw- uh, 10 different categories of music that I grew up surrounded by. So I had this very broad-based uh, cultural exposure. My family's Jamaican. I grew up in Canada. Um, I'm not white, but I'm not black. Um, so I've been called nigger on the ice when I was playing hockey. Um, even though I'm not even like, I'm, I'm no darker than a a cup of coffee with a heavy amount of cream in it. Right. Um, my sister's gay, who was my best man at my wedding was my sister. So I grew up with all of these sort of different, like social, uh, um, social categories, um, and realizing that at the end of the day, people are just people, um, which I don't think that a lot of people if you're living in a, we grew up in a small town. We're the only Jamaican family in my, my hometown. There's one Korean family that owned oddly enough, the convenience store. There's one Japanese family. They own the sushi restaurant. Like it's one of those small towns. And a lot of my friends are still in that, that, that town. They took over their parents' businesses. They've never left. They haven't had this sort of broad based cultural exposure to where you see like in Toronto generally votes more progressive. Why is that? They're around more different people. Montreal, Vancouver, same thing. Um, and then as you get to the outskirts, you're around more of the same kind of homogenous kind of person. So you're generally more conservative, which is where social media is kind of driving us to. Because if you're constantly in that echo chamber and in that very um, same category of person and not being exposed to different people on a human one-on-one, per- you're on the same basketball team, you go to the same church, you uh, you know, those kind of like, okay, you might be different, but here we have a collective team thing that we're doing. So, oh, 
I realized that end of the day, even though you might be uh, gay and I'm straight, we actually have more in common than we have differently. So I'm more accepting of your differences than I am, um, than I would be otherwise. And I think that's where the technolo technological aspects of things are, are, are shunting people to be um, in these little echo chambers where everyone else is the other. Um, the, there's no point in time where you guys are all on the same team and all moving forward to a common goal and you get to know one another and you realize, oh, hey, we're, we're, all, um, we're all together. So, you know, building that sort of uh, uh, sense of community where, where my wife and I just moved to has been really important to us, making friends in the neighborhood um, and, uh, and, and just kind of being more a part of our community and, and sort of the local culture, I think, is kind of a value that I think is underrated and where I think we're putting a lot of our energy right now. Yeah, so what I hear there is is connections with people and and generosity and kindness to others, whether they're people you know or they're people you don't know. Totally. Why not? I mean, you asked me, um, am I am I religious? And I I, I won't. I'm pretty sure this is who said it, but um, uh, Abraham Lincoln has that line, uh, as far as I know. I understand it was him that said it. I wasn't there where he says, um, when I do good, I feel good. When I do bad, I feel bad. That is my religion. And I think that that's a very simple way and a very good way to live your life. You really can't go wrong in that sense. And ultimately, if you're, you're listening to yourself, anytime you've done something sort of bad or on the sly or anything like that, you generally have that shitty feeling and you know that maybe you shouldn't have done or said or acted the way that you did um, and there's always a path out of that. Um, and then when you do good, likewise, I mean, you, you end up feeling good. So I think that would be sort of my, my purpose, my religion, all of those things kind of wrapped into one in that, uh, in that sound bite. Thank you, Abe. Thank you, man. My pleasure. Right on. <laughs>